Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast, presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. RJ, I, I don't know that that place really ever calmed down last night. Like, I was just seeing bits and pieces of people from the beer hall last night during that big game. I mean, it was so loud. It was so loud. Yeah, that, that place never calms down. It is always rocking during Kraken games. I mean, it's it's just awesome to be there for the road games. And I, as much as I'm happy to be in the arena for the home games, like I feel like I'm kind of missing out on the party there as well. Um, there's there's always something going on. You get the different crowds. So you get the pregame crowd, then everyone kind of goes to the game, and you get the during-game crowd of people who don't have tickets to the game. And then you get the post-game crowd of everyone you know, kind of filing in from after the game, ready to celebrate uh, a big crack and win last night. So it's just rocking all the time. Yeah. And you know, with those road games, because there is going to be a road game five in this series against Dallas, you never know who's going to show up. It might be Bowie. He might break a window and then flee the scene of the crime. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's... That's oh, true. It's... I cannot confirm or deny who broke the window. I, I didn't, I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. So uh, Bowie may or may not be innocent. RJ's on no witness list. I see how it is. Um, <laughs> gonna gonna have a, fa- a fun podcast for this one. Obviously, of course, break down the Dallas series so far. Talk about where we think this series can go. That's going to be a big part of all this. But before that, we've got news and notes. Uh, and then even before that, RJ, because today is NHL Draft Lottery Day. You have this tradition, apparently, that I'm just now learning about. Or I've forgotten because... I just don't care. Um, But you have a draft lottery day tradition that we're going to all take a part of. Yeah, so I've texted you about this every year that I've done it. So good to know that you care, Dylan. Um, You know what? If you ever got it right, RJ, I would care. Fair enough. So I disclaimer here, I have never gotten this right. So every year on Draft Lottery Day, what I like to do, because you could run that Tankathon lottery simulator forever and get all the different results and everything. I like to do it just one time, morning of the draft lottery, see who wins. So it's never been correct before, but I'm going to do it again right here live uh, as we record this here. So the timer just went under seven hours until the draft lottery. Uh, Ready for me to hit Sim? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. So the the winner, according to this, of the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, and this would be pretty fun, the Detroit Red Wings. Oh my gosh! <laughs> what do you mean that the would Iser be plan fun? comes to fruition? What do you mean that would be fun? The only he's out of the conference. <sighs> That's true, and he's in a place where I think he could do well. Yeah, it can, him and Dylan Larkin can just go and yeah. I don't know, Edvinson next year and everything. I don't know. That's Jumping a mess. Up. Jumping up to the second pick is the Chicago Blackhawks. Don't worry about that. No, no, no. I don't like that one either, especially because I think if Fantilli goes there, it's just the second coming of Jonathan Taves. So uh, the only solace I'm taking in any of this, RJ, is the fact that you never get it right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we know this is what it's not going to be. Yep. But if you want to find out what it is going to be and you want Mm -hmm. to find out with us, Mm -hmm. we have a live stream for the draft lottery for our Tear of the Deep patrons. So if you're already a patron, make sure to join us for that at five o'clock. Watch the lottery along, live along with us. See where Connor Bedard ends up going. Uh, and if you're not, link to the Patreon down below. Get that. Lots of other cool stuff. Uh, looking forward to seeing everyone there. Yes, definitely, definitely. It's been too long between doing uh, a live stream like that and hanging out with everybody. Looking forward to catching up. Um, all right, news and notes, RJ, for the Seattle Kraken. Uh, and really, for the first one, I know, you, I know you're all eager because you've been there. They had a practice and everything. I know you're all eager. Just want to mention Coachella Valley first just because then we can just focus on the crack and kind of the rest of the time. Coachella Valley is advancing to their division finals. Um, Calder Cup playoff, RJ, we were just talking about this before we hit record. It's kind of a mess. Uh, (laughs) All of these different series of different lengths. But the bottom line is the Coachella Valley Firebirds are in the Elite Eight, if you will, of the Calder Cup finals. They're going to be playing the Calgary, Calgary Wranglers, who I believe were the only team better than them in the regular season in all of the AHL. Uh, so this is going to be a massive series down uh, up there, down there, Calgary and Coachella Valley. Um, but it's still a best of five series, RJ, because the AHL just is allergic to games and money, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's travel. I think they're just trying to, you know, minimize that. That's that's what it is. Um, of course, with Calgary and Coachella Valley, there's some significant that's travel, travel there. Yeah. But one thing that's interesting, too, with the best of five is the higher seed gets to pick. Do they want the first two games at home or do they want the last three games yes, at home? And I, I think that's that. super interesting. And Calgary chose to have the first two games at home. So Coachella Valley, if it goes five, they'll have the deciding game five at home. They'll have three of the five games at home, but they do have to start out with a couple games on the road. Yeah. And, uh, oh man, th this series is going to be so much fun. Uh, coincidence, RJ, that out of the Pacific division, the two teams left there and really the two best teams in the AHL this year, both like centered around fire. Maybe other teams should take note of that rebrand. Yep. I think, think there's something to <laughs> come on. You don't want just 32 brand fire branded teams in the AHL. Do yes. You? And then I want the NHL to all be branded around ice. And then it's, it's, it's how great would that be? It would be so easy for incoming new fans then. Um, so yeah, that series is going to be epic. There's no way around it, but good luck to the firebirds. And uh, I mean, they've been, they've been doing so well so far through the, through the playoffs. It's, it's been fantastic to see that um, for the Seattle Kraken organization, RJ, as we then transition to the Kraken part of that organization, which has also been doing so well through the playoffs so far. It's fantastic to see. Um, I, I, I don't know. You, you're, you're the news and notes guy. You can pick where we start on this. Uh, there's obviously lots of stuff to talk about uh, when it comes to the Seattle Kraken. Right. So I, I think we'll start with some awards talk. Um, get that out of the way here. Yep. And the Kraken had a player and a coach uh, that were finalists for a couple NHL awards. So we'll start with the least surprising for sure. Matty Veneers, Calder mm -hmm. Trophy finalist. So he's in the top three there. The way this works really quick, just that for those who might not be super familiar, is the votes already happen. So the voting for these awards happened at the end of the regular season. The, the winners are already decided, but we won't find out who they are until the NHL awards in Nashville in June. But what they do is they release the three finalists. So the people who had the top three, you know, the top three vote getters, they'll let us know now ahead of time. And they're kind of just breaking a new one of those every day as we go through the playoffs here. Um, so the Calder, Matty Veneers in the top three. That's as no brainer as it gets. He's got to be the favorite to win that award. I mean, Maddie for Calder. We've made the shirts. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I, I don't think any of us are surprised. But one that did surprise me a little bit, the Jack Adams Award. So that's Coach of the Year. That's voted on by the Broadcasters Association. So it's not by the PHWA. Uh, and Dave Haxtell is a finalist. So he was in the top three vote getters for Coach of the Year. And personally, I think well-deserved. I was just surprised because... I don't know, East Coast bias, other things. I just didn't think he'd get the recognition there. Uh, I mean, I I did. I thought he could make top three. I still don't think that he has, like, any chance of winning, probably. Oh, just, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think top three, especially because, you know, East Coast bias was there. You look, Boston and New Jersey are the other two. It doesn't get more Northeastern hockey than that. Uh, so, um, but I, I think it makes sense. I mean, especially because think of, think of all the broadcasters who, especially when the Kraken were traveling, right? Going into all those different buildings, getting the job done, playing really well, playing like a complete team at, you know, three lines, four lines rolling, all that kind of stuff. I mean, just if you saw a Daniel Sprong goal this season, how are you not going to vote for Dave Haxtell for coach of the year? Right. Fair enough. And I, I'm sure you probably also heard a little bit from John Forslund about how great the Kraken were doing. You yeah. know, um, I'm sure he's someone that you'd listen to and respect as well. I don't know how much he you know, made the case to all the other broadcasters, but, uh, you know, they, they talk, broadcasters talk. Yep. And, and when John Forslund talks, I think you tend to listen. I do, too. Um, this is the one thing, though, that I want to talk about with both of them. And then we can also you know talk Calder a little bit here. Do you think the NHL needs to rebrand this whole announcing the three finalists? Just because the finalist aspect, I've just seen a lot of confusion on Twitter and stuff um, the, these last couple days with the idea of these being the finalists and then people thinking that now like, you know, the voting takes place and then it, it narrows it down to three people and then there's a second round of voting while the playoffs are going and lots of people asking, oh, is what Maddie's doing is the fact that they're still around for, you know, Seattle's still there, but Boston isn't. Is that going to help Hackstall win when you and I, as you just said, right, we know. The voting has already taken place. The NHL already knows the winner. Do you think they need to change the word away from finalists to like the top three vote getters were kind of thing? You know what I mean? Just because it is creating confusion for newer fans. 
Right. I mean, it may be, I, although I think that makes it less interesting and, and like, oh, the top three, it, it just feels like, oh, it's, it's already kind of happened. I understand it may be it misleading. Has, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you you want to, maybe if you're the league, you want to create that suspense of, oh, the finalists and maybe there's still something. <laughs> Do you want to be misleading? I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe, maybe there could be some rebranding there because it is a little bit confusing for sure. Um, Cause they are regular season awards. Right. And, um, you know, that, that isn't really emphasized in, in the marketing of, of any of them, really. So, yeah, I, I think I think maybe it could do for a, a bit of a rebrand. But I think it's good that you are naming the finalists or, you know, naming the yeah. top three. It gets the conversation going again and, and brings more eyes to it. Yeah, you know, it gets the conversation away from whatever playoff hockey games just happened. Round two playoff hockey games happened. So it's it's a good way for to... regular season awards. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really good uh, whole system that the NHL has there for their own PR to eat itself there. Uh, I just think, you know, finalist is kind of a confusing word. It's like, well, I mean, technically everybody's a finalist. They're all eligible to be voted on, all 32 coaches or whatever. Um, I just think there's probably a better way of saying it that would make it a little more clear for especially newer fans. Uh, Calder wise, like you said, Maddie's the, the, the probable favorites. I would agree with that. Boy, that's the one though, that I sure wish the playoffs counted for at least round one RJ, because that would really lock things up for Maddie, uh, in this Calder race. But the thing that I was happy with was just seeing all the different like statistical analytical models, all the different people out there that have those were putting out theirs and Maddie looked really, really good compared to the other finalists there. And that was the one thing that I was maybe worried about was, you know, oh, because he didn't hit like a really lofty point total number for the regular season, maybe people would start looking somewhere else to try to find a reason to vote for an Owen Power or something like that. Um, but it seems like, you know what? No, everything just lines up. Maddie's just that good, everybody. Sorry. Yep, he is. And you look at some of the more advanced models too. Uh, the the point totals aren't, you know, off the charts, but his defensive impact yeah. is incredible looking at some of those and, and his finishing really impressive as well. Um, so good to see that. I just, I can't imagine him not winning at this point. I'm sorry. I just can't. No, it would, it would take some fantastical work by the Edmonton media. To just try to get Stuart Skinner over him, I think uh, it's not happening. I'm I'm really really happy about it all. And then yeah, I'm really interested to see also where Hackstall finishes, because the bottom mm-hmm. line is you know that team played well. When you talk about the team that's number one in goals, five v five, top five in goals after the year they had last year, he definitely deserves to be in that conversation. So definitely happy for both of them. Good news for the Kraken. What's up next? All right, up next, and I know people have been waiting for this eagerly, we get to talk about Jared McCann because he returned to the ice a couple days ago for the Kraken's practice, and uh, he was in a red jersey, so the red non-contact jersey, so that's kind of the next step coming back. Um, And real quick, just to start off, as far as the injury, the team won't say what the injury is, no official confirmation, but watching the play, I, I think we've talked about this in the past. Like it looks very much like a concussion. All signs point to concussion. Yeah. So we're kind of going to speak about it as though that's what it is. So he returned to the ice in a red no contact jersey, also wearing a tinted visor, which would point to concussion as well. Um, and so I got there early for practice because I, I was thinking maybe he'd hop on the ice. He did, took two laps, then went right back into the room. And I was like, oh, is that it? Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> right. But then he came back out about 15 minutes later, went over to rink two, did some work there, um, and then came back over to rink one and actually practiced with the team. So didn't take any contact, obviously. He was in that red no contact jersey. But he kind of ramped up as the practice went on. Started off very slow, maybe 20% you know, on those first couple laps, but kind of ramped it up and I think was about near 100% by the end of practice as far as just kind of game speed, shooting, skating, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. He stayed out there later to tip some pucks afterward, which I think is a, is a big thing, kind of working on your vision uh, and, and making sure you can focus on that. His hand-eye looked good. Um, so that was a good sign. Seemed like everything went well, at least by my eye. And confirmation that it seemed to go well, the next day, so at morning skate yesterday before the game, he was out there again, uh, not in a red jersey, in a white jersey. So he sheds the no contact jersey. That's another really good step in his progression. Uh, and he was out there doing morning skate with the team. He didn't take line rushes. As you all know, he didn't play last night. Uh, but it feels like he's working his way back and getting really close. 
Yeah, I'm so, so happy to hear that. Obviously, Jared McCann, big part of this team all season long with the 40-goal campaign and everything. Um, and, and yeah, it's just fantastic to see him back out there. It sounds like he's doing all right. He's progressing well. Based on what, you know, Hackstall had been saying, Game 3 was seemingly never an option. Uh, and then Game 4, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit later, sounded like even that they didn't necessarily want to rush him back for it. Uh, we'll see if things maybe now have changed. Um, but uh, a game five seemed like a likely target date for his return, which would be really, really cool um, to, to see him on the road in Dallas, especially given the way that this team plays on the road. Um, do you think it's it's odd that they never disclosed even like upper body on him? No, I mean... Look, they got well, away with not doing it, so yeah, why I, would you? That's what I was just going to say. Like, Do you think it's weird that the NHL has just, like, really this year, just allowed multiple teams to do that? Like, No, because I have such low expectations for the NHL. Like, okay. that's that's what it is. I think as, as the gambling and the sports betting becomes more prevalent, like, they can't get away with it forever. But while they can, they're, they think they're determined to get away with as much of it as they can. That's that's what I was kind of getting at, was, like, I... I at some point, they're going to have to start cracking down on these coaches. You'd think they'd want to, you know, do it softly by just saying, please, just stick to upper or lower body. <laughs> like, yeah, still officially undisclosed. Yep. All right. Uh, good news there for, for Jared McCann and his uh, potential return. I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about about where that might take place, RJ. Um, was that it for news and notes? Should we move on to breaking down this series game by game? Well, one more thing. Speaking of undisclosed injuries, unfortunately, Daniel Sprong left the last mm-hmm. game uh, in the second period with, again, undisclosed. I, I don't think they've even said injury. No, we, yeah. So we don't know for sure, but I think it's probably an injury. Um, so we'll, we'll wait to monitor that. We might get an update uh, today or tomorrow on that. But that does play into McCann returning in that conversation that we're going to have. Yes. I mean, you know what? Let's, for, you know, let's just have the conversation now. Um just for everybody, because, you know, everybody's going to be paying attention. This is going to be a big thing that they're going to want to talk about. Um, I'm checking the real quick, the, the 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 transaction page on cap friendly, because when I went to hockey reference, just to pull up the team, RJ Jagger Furcus is listed on the Kraken's roster, according to hockey reference. And so I'm trying to check to see, did they call him up after last night? Because that would be crazy. That would be big news. I don't think so. I'm assuming this is a mistake on hockey references part. Um, yeah, that can't be right. Yeah. There's nothing on cap friendly about it. I would assume that would have been news all over the place. We would have really, really seen, but I was going to say, well, that would make the conversation around this Daniel Sprague thing a lot more interesting. Yeah. (laughs) No, but I I don't think uh, Jagger Perkins is getting called up here. I don't think so either. I think that's just a, an oddity there. Um, but Daniel Sprong, I mean, look, he had the injury coming into the postseason we knew about. Um, it looked like it was hampering him in that Colorado series. Uh, I, I think that that's pretty safe to say. And then, so who knows if this is something new, if it's a re-aggravation of that injury. The question, though, becomes, RJ, if he's not at 100% and maybe McCann's not at 100%, do you roll with one of them at not 100% or do you look at maybe bringing in a, a, a Froden at that point if you're Dave Haxtell? I think at that point, you, you just look at bringing maybe a Froden. I mean, it's it's probably no more than one game. I mean, we talked yeah. about McCann's potential return. I, I think game five would be the latest for him unless there's some kind of setback. So you can roll with Froden on the fourth line for one game. You'd probably double shift someone else in there a little bit too. Froden might you know have five or six minutes of ice time, and that's just what it is. But I think you're okay for one game. Uh, but then, you know, if Sprong, if this is more of a longer-term thing and you do get McCann back, then we had that whole discussion of like, okay, well, who do you put him in for you? Who do you scratch? The decision might be made for them. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, probably based on ice time, Sprong would be the obvious person anyway, um, just based on how, how Hackstall's been using the lines and everything that would make sense. And the way Ty Cartier has been playing because, and we'll get to this, you know, talking, breaking down the series, Cartier looks fantastic in this series. Like he is just not slowing down. He's not, he hit a, a little bit of like a welcome to the NHL wall a little bit early on, but uh, he's, he's right back from that. Uh, I got to think that Hackstall's liking the physical edge that he brings and the fact that that Maddie line is starting to get going. So I don't know that McCann would just immediately kind of replace Cartier in the lineup. Everything's back to the way it was beforehand. Cause I don't know that you'd want to mess with that chemistry right now, RJ. 
No, I don't think you do. And I think you're going to be looking at maybe other options somewhere down the lineup. I mean, one thing you could do is maybe move a Morgan Geeky back to the fourth line center and, and really bolster that fourth line. I mean, that would be very strong. And then move McCann onto that line with Wenberg and Schwartz. That's one thing you could do. I mean, you could move Karche down onto that second line and move McCann back to where he was. But I, I just, I like that line with Beniers, Eberle, and Karche for the time being. Um, so, yeah, I think those are maybe some options. But I think you want to keep Karche up where he is. I, I think so too. I agree with that. And I don't know. I kind of like, I mean, Morgan Geeky was like my MVP of the first period for that game three. So I know, I know. It'd be, it'd be really tough. I don't know if you do something. I don't know. Do you have McCann center the fourth line? No, I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, <laughs> I don't think you want to throw him back in there as a center. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could have him play wing on the fourth line and, and yeah. just really try and take advantage of those, those plus matchups. I mean, that could help you down the lineup, and maybe that helps you ease them in ice time-wise. That might be kind of a, a first-game-back solution. Yeah, especially if, you know, you're targeting Game 5, but he needs to step in Game 4. That could be like a good middle ground uh, where you could really kind of shelter him ice time-wise, but you'll still have him for power plays and stuff like that. You can throw him out there That's for true, given the power play minutes, all that, because, I mean, he does help that power play unit that's still struggling a bit. Yeah, I don't just a little. <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, so that's 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 the the situation there. The bottom line is we're just not gonna really know anything tomorrow. Morning skate would be the first time that I I suspect we'll get any sort of inkling as to where this whole situation with both McCann and Sprong could be going. So patience and just keep you know paying attention to the Twitter. RJ will let us know when when he knows. <laughs> yep, exactly. All right, so this Dallas Stars series, RJ, it's going pretty well, actually. I was I was worried. I had a lot of questions about the Seattle Kraken going into this one. You know, questions that didn't really get answered in the first series just because Colorado was so top-loaded that it was kind of hard to tell, like, well, how much of this is because the Kraken are, are really, like, right there? How much of this is, you know, Colorado's just big guys just being that good versus the Kraken not being able to defend top players? All that stuff. The special teams especially, like Colorado just fall off, you know, with their power play and the PK is still potentially vulnerable or is the PK actually super legit for the Seattle Kraken now? Um, game one answered a ton of those questions. Game three answered all of them. Kraken are just, they're, they're this good. They're legit. The bottom line is they're hanging around with top teams. Uh, they're they're up in the second round, RJ, two to one in this series against the team that I picked to win the Stanley Cup. Kraken are good. Yeah, they are. I think we can confidently say that. And it's something that we knew really going back to January when they were playing really good hockey consistently against top teams. But our big question was, well, okay, after several months of not being at that level, you know, a couple of months, like, can they get there again? Are they ever going to be that team again this season? And I think certainly game three showed that proof that they are. And big evidence for that, seven different goal scorers, seven to two in seven different goal scorers. And that's the kind of thing that we were seeing in January, that type of scoring depth being all over a team who's, who's really very good. The Dallas stars. I mean, that reminded me of one of those games in January. And I think we are seeing that team back. And as we knew back then, that team can hang with anybody. If mm -hmm. they play their game, they can hang with any other team. No team scares me. So I think that's just really cool to see that we're at this point in the playoffs and that Kraken team is here and, and you know, who knows how far they can go. Right. And they're handling playoff hockey because that was the other great unknown for this team was can you handle it when things get more physical and more intense and every shift is, you know, do or die. And if you make a mistake and it's in the back of your net, that's a massive deal, right? That puts you one step closer to the off season uh, and your season being over. And the bottom line is this team just was like, yeah, no, that's fine. We, we got it. Like, like yeah. you know, <laughs> like they've, they've only, they've had a couple games that have been rough. Right. Game two in this series was really bad. Um, but some of that can be chalked up, especially that game to fatigue factor. The fact that the Kraken were the only team through all of the first round and then into the second round to not have an extra day off between games. It was just every other day. Um, they ended up playing eight, eight games in 15 days. Like that's, you know, a lot of hockey leading into that. Um, and so. I just think, yeah, this this team has answered all of the questions. They can be physical. We've seen them win the hits battle every game this postseason, I think. I think so. I would have to double check I it, mean, but 
certainly more than sound often like than not. <laughs> like it doesn't sound you know easily able to do but i think they may have every single game yeah i know it was you know it's it's certainly in this dallas series it's been that way um and through a lot of the colorado series it was that way because i know a lot of people were saying the kraken needed to be more physical in that colorado series but the hits were always in favor of the kraken um i feel like the kraken found that extra physical edge in this one especially that susie hit on marchman last night that was fantastic oh for sure that set the tone yeah this this team is figuring it out in all the different ways special teams i mean the power play needs to be better but you know hey (laughs) What you gotta do? What you gotta do? Nobody could be perfect. Um, yeah, this this team is just—it's got it rolling, and and I—I I mean, I don't know, RJ. I don't know. I, I know, <laughs> I know. It's been—it's been lots of dancing around that question of how good they can be and how good they are, and I'm just so gun shy to have that conversation. I am too. I mean, it's—it's it's the kind of thing I don't think about at all once the game starts. It's just okay, Kraken versus Stars. What's going on in the individual game? I think you and I—we both lock on to you know, it, the the minutia of the game and try. You know, we get very in the moment there. But at least personally, once once the camera stops rolling for post game, and I go home and I'm just kind of lying awake in bed because I can't sleep after those games. Like that's what I'm thinking about. Is like how good is this team actually? How far can they go? Um, cause I think both of us are, are a little bit, I mean, you know, in a way we're not surprised cause we know the team was capable of this. We've watched them all year. We've, we've seen them play and win like this, but I think we're both a little bit surprised at just how far it's taken them in reality. Yeah. The depth, right? Like we knew they, they had depth and we know that that's a valuable thing come playoff time. But if you go back to like the pre playoff discussion and when we were ranking the teams that I thought were most dangerous, I really thought that teams with star players was going to be a problem for them. And I thought that, you know what, especially early on in the playoffs, the depth doesn't matter as much as having that one player that can just go out there and get the job done for you. Right. And I was really worried that the Kraken weren't going to necessarily have the depth to keep up with that. And Hey, they did through that Colorado series. Nathan McKinnon did everything he absolutely could outside of that one goal where he, you know, gave up on it to complain to the ref. Um, (laughs) <laughs> he did everything he could to to put away this Kraken team, and the Kraken were able to to come out of it. Yeah, it took them seven games, um, but the bottom line is the Kraken were able to win that series. And then in this one, Dallas, it's not like they don't lack for star power, but outside of Pavs in game one, which I guess we can transition to talk about you know, the game by game, this Dallas Stars team has been fairly quiet. Their big guys have been pretty quiet, especially guys like Rupe Hintz, who was leading the playoffs in scoring going into the second round. And he just is he even playing, RJ. I know. Hintz and Robertson have really not shown up a whole lot to me in this series. And we can kind of ask the question of, um, are the Kraken just doing this exceptional job of shutting them down? Or are they, you know, a, a, a kind of an important tier down from, from a Ronson and a McKinnon? And it's just that the, the Stars have more of those guys whether, because they, you know, they have, like, I'd say, you know, maybe four of them with you. You had Joe Pavelski and, you know, Haskin's pretty good too, you know, generating offense. Like, mm-hmm. is that the thing? Is it quantity versus quality? Or are they that good? And the Kraken are just shutting them down more effectively. But either way, I think that's a good sign for Seattle. It is. And it's a good sign for Seattle that, yes, you can have seven different players step up and score a goal in a game for you. You can do that at home. That was the final question I had. I needed answered about the <laughs> Seattle Kraken team was can they win enough at home? You know, obviously they're a wild card team. They're going to have, you know, well, I guess it wouldn't necessarily be that way because there is a lower seeded wild card team in the East. But through the Western Conference playoffs, you're going to be a team that's going to have, um, you know, to play on the road if you're going to to try to win. And um, this, t- this team is, you know, we knew it was capable of that. The question was, can they get it done at home? But two and two at home so far in the postseason, RJ, it's not bad. That's that's No, enough. it's not bad. And that win was convincing. And it's it's weird to think about, but that was the Kraken's first like regulation win at home over a playoff team since uh, I believe January 1st. Since January, like you were talking about, it's 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 pretty wild. Like it makes sense when you say stuff like that. It makes sense why I was so much more nervous then than I am now, RJ. <laughs> Because right. <laughs> we hadn't seen it because we just hadn't seen it. But now we've seen it. We know it's possible and we know that the Kraken can do it. Um, we'll get to what, you know, any adjustments that the Kraken may need to make or what we think Dallas might do in just a second. But just to real quickly recap these games, 
Game one, RJ, Seattle Kraken five, Joe Pavelski four. I know everybody's heard it a million times, but the bottom line is that's what that game was. It was the return of Joe Pavelski. It was the fact that the Kraken, I believe, right, they got they got up to two um, two goal leads in that one, and Pavelski was <laughs> able to come back from both of them uh, for for his team. Or no, Pavelski kicked things off on that first game. That was later. But um, yeah. the fact of the matter was this: this is a series that right from the jump, RJ, that first period of game one, you see six goals scored. And everyone's like, okay, here we go. That's what this is going to be. Okay, all right, let's go for it. Right, it looked like this kind of offensive explosion that I, I don't think a whole lot of people anticipated that much that early. Um, but yeah, lots of goal scoring. Um, I mean, Joe Pavelski just absolutely taking over in that one. He's an incredible player. That was an incredible performance um, to, to be able to do what he did. And just the narrative too, coming back from injury and, and playing like that. Um, some nights... Some players just have it, and you know there's not a whole lot of stopping them. Uh, and that was one of those for Joe Pavelski and the Stars. But the Kraken, you know, matched and, and then surpassed the goal total as a team. I mean, that's kind of how they did it in the first period, too. They were forechecking, just the tenacious forecheck, uh, getting those pucks free from the corners. You see it in with Jaden Schwartz doing that on his first goal. I mean, that is huge. Um, and winning board battles, like, you know, Tanev wins a board battle. Donato takes that puck out, sends it over uh, to Justin Schultz, who snipes it past Ottinger. I mean, they were putting in the work, and they were getting rewarded for it with those goals. And on top of that, Ottinger didn't look that good in the mm -hmm. first period. I mean, he was beat a couple times, just clean blocker side. You wonder, okay, you know, could this be a theme here? Maybe we, uh, maybe the Kraken have found a way to beat him and, and where he's not going to look that good. Second period, it, everything kind of shut down. Third period, he didn't allow another goal. Um, so you're thinking, okay, there, Ott Ottinger's back. And then it goes to overtime. The Kraken seemed kind of tired by the end of that third period, but that overtime intermission, they're able to get their energy back and Yanni Gord ends up scoring the winner on kind of a broken play, but it's yep. just the ultimate Yanni Gord goal, just throwing a puck to the net, uh, and the Kraken prevail there in game one. Again, it's that Yanni Gord line especially, but really all of the Kraken have really embraced it during this postseason run, which is you play through it. You know what I mean? Like there's clutching, there's grabbing from Dallas defenders on Yanni Gord and his line mates on that play. And it doesn't matter because it's playoff hockey. You know, that's not going to get called. Nobody's going to have your back. You got to go out there and you got to play through it. You can either let it get to you or you can try to keep keep going and play to the whistle. And Yanni Gord played to the whistle and got the overtime game winner there. And I think that that was an important moment where that effort level was rewarded, RJ. And I feel like that really spread throughout the team. Maybe not for game two, which we'll talk about in just a second, but certainly for game three, just the ability of this Kraken team. Everybody, they're just going for it. They're trying to play fast. They're trying to go through things. And I think, I think the strategy changed up a little bit after this first game. After, you know, look, that first period was crazy. I think both coaches kind of throw that out. Period two was just a slog for for everybody involved and then period three you get those Pavelski goals um and and I think the Kraken kind of looked at at what their game plan was in this game and said I don't know that this is necessarily the best strategy for the rest of this series where you know you look at the stats in this one Kraken outshot the stars 44 to 35 it was just all out blitz on both sides just shots everywhere the hits though 47 hits for the Kraken 19 for the stars and I think the Kraken said okay we want to we know we need to be heavy on the forecheck we know that that's going to be the way that we win games is we're, we need to dictate play in their zone that's what we need to do to try to be successful but maybe we don't need to try to hit everything that moves all the time Instead, if we just focus on certain key hits and certain key moments, make those really matter, and then focus on the puck a little bit more than just the body, uh, maybe we can get things going. And I think that that was a, an adjustment they made from this one to Game 3. Um, game 2, however, would normally be where you would see adjustments like that take place. But RJ, Game 2, fatigue just catch up to the Kraken? It's sure what it looks like now. I know that's what we had a hunch that that was the case after watching game two. And it's hard to know for sure because the stars are a very good team. You can make the argument, look, they just kind of turned it on and they figured out their game. They made adjustments and they just looked a lot better than the Kraken. You look at the expected goal spread. I believe it was the, the biggest negative total for the Kraken all season. Um, the stars just, the first period was kind of even, but yep. through the final 40 minutes, the stars just absolutely poured it on. Uh, the Kraken had no business being in that game. They, they weren't <laughs> after a while, once the dam finally broke uh, on Philip Grubauer and 
yeah, it just it felt like fatigue might have been the factor for it, though. Mm-hmm. But after watching game three, I think those questions were answered. Like, it really looks like fatigue now, especially with how they're able to come out in game three after a day off. But you look back to game two, and I, I think the big hint with it, too, is the ice time. You yes. look at the player's ice time, and it was very evenly distributed. It did not look like a play. It looked like kind of a, a meaningless regular season game almost, where you know your top guys really don't have a whole lot more ice time than the guys further down the lineup. I think Dave Haxtall knew that's where his team was at. They were just so tired. You couldn't load up Adam Larson for his usual 26, nope. 27 playoff minutes. He finishes with 22. Uh, you couldn't load up your forwards with you know, 23, 24 playoff minutes. He, he, they're down at 17, 18. Um, he knew his team was tired. You could tell talking after the game too. He's like, yeah, I think these these days off are, are going to be really well-timed. And especially talking after the players after game three too, Maddie Beneers was saying like, yeah, for, for me personally, it was huge getting that day off because it is just so tough. It is a grind. I think we really needed that. Um, so game two, they were just out of gas and the stars took advantage. And that's interesting too, especially coming from Maddie, given that the Maddie Beneers line in this one was the only line capable of kind of doing anything for the Kraken. Uh, you look, there's a whole lot of, you know, plus minuses and a great stat, but a whole lot of minuses everywhere else. A couple pluses there for the Maddie Beneers line. And you look at the two goals, Ty Cartier and Jordan Everly in this one. Um, and, and you know what score being four, two, given how bad the Kraken played in that, like if you watch that game, you know how bad the Kraken were. It's pretty good. Like it showed that this team really, even, even when they're out of gas, even when everything's not going their way, even when they're only winning 31% of the faceoffs, RJ team can hang around and they're still going to put a couple in. They're not going to let Ottinger get a shutout and get any sort of, you know, momentum moving forward in the series or anything like that. And so I did think that that was a big deal for the crack and it just continued that never say die attitude that they've had since week one of the season that I've been talking about. I really, really appreciate that from them. And then also Philip Grubauer. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, there you go. You you beat me to it. I was going to say a lot of that is on Philip Grubauer. When yes. you're able to hang in games, it, it's because your goaltending is good. I'll let you take it away and say what you were going to say. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, Philip Grubauer in this one, for the first time all postseason, started to look shaky in that game, too. Uh, especially that you know wraparound one where he just lost track of where he was positionally, which for a guy like Philip Grubauer is very unusual. He's, he's usually, that's, that's what makes him an effective goaltender is that positioning he has. Um, so the extra day off certainly helped get Grubauer right. But even, even when he looked shaky, RJ... He, he still was a big factor in this game, not looking as ugly as it otherwise could have. And I think that, you know, again, talking about answering questions, Philip Grubauer answering questions for a lot of people with his play continuing post just playing his former team in the abs in this series. Right. It was a slight step down from game two, but you, for game two, but you look at the whole rest of his playoff run and he has just been consistently solid, consistently sharp. Uh, you saw it even at the end of the first period in game two where the stars were really pouring on the pressure and he made the timely saves needed to make to go into that first intermission scoreless. And the rest of the team wasn't really able to support him after that. But um, still, I mean, he did his part to give his team a chance to win the game. It's just how tired they were. They were not winning that night, no matter what happened. Um, but Grubauer, he's, he's just been really good really solid every single game and I think what that does for a team's confidence knowing that if you put in the work if you play hard if you play the right way your goalie is going to take care of you down uh, on the other end and I, I think we're seeing the results of that I mean in all these series and it can be frustrating for opponents as well Oh, it definitely can be. Philip Grubauer, I mean good on him and then you know you looked look at the next game game three. Uh, I mean, obviously all cracking on the score sheet. We could talk about that in a second, but Philip Grubauer, he had to make big saves in this one. Like there was times where Dallas was trying to rally and there was times where they were breaking through what the Kraken were trying to do offensively on the forecheck. They were breaking through what the Kraken were trying to set up in the neutral zone and they were getting past the defense too. But Philip Grubauer was that last line of defense. He kept the Kraken in it and he kept, more importantly, he kept Dallas from feeling like they had any sort of mojo. They had no confidence. They just couldn't get anything going. Uh, and and that was a really, really big thing. Uh, the fact that Philip Grubauer was able to bounce back from that shakier game too and, and be that, that stone wall back there, RJ, for the Kraken. 
it, it's easy to forget when the score was kind of as lopsided as it ended up being. But the Stars had lots of chances to get back in that game, to regain their footing and, and to try and build on something. And, and Philip Grubauer just stifled every one of those. And Matty Beniers even mentioned it after the game, too, uh, on the point of it's difficult to kind of keep your foot on the gas when you're up, you know, 4-1, 5-1 in a game like that. You know, the momentum is kind of not the momentum, but, you know, the natural score effects, all that. It's kind of going against you. You want to defend. Yeah. Right. Um, but seeing those saves from Philip Grubauer kind of helped motivate the guys to you know, go out there, try and get some more goals for him and keep your foot on the gas where he's not having to handle a ton of workload as the stars are just pouring it on, trying to get back into the game. Right. And, um, you know, the Kraken in this one, it felt like those adjustments that they might be looking to make after game one really took effect in this one. Lower event is, is basically the best way I could describe it. The hit total comes down for the Kraken down to 29. Um, neither team has more than 26 shots, 26 for the Stars, 25 for the Kraken. Felt like this is this is how the Kraken kind of want to play this series, RJ, which is just we're going to try to play it as much in their zone as possible with the four check, but we're going to focus on just controlling the puck and just making sure that Things don't happen because if, if you know, that's a good way of, of battling a top ended team like this Dallas Stars team, RJ, where they have, you know, 40 goal scorers. They have a couple of them. They've got a bunch of 30 goal guys uh, in their career. Whereas with the Kraken, it's just, hey, at any given time, one of our guys will be able to seize an opportunity, recognize a mistake from the Dallas Stars and be able to put the puck in the net. So we just need to play the game waiting for those chances to strike and Dallas, as they got more and more frustrated, there was just more and more of those opportunities last night uh, to, to capitalize. Yeah, they kept popping up. And I think the scoreline for this one is a little bit deceptive just because of how bad Dallas's goaltending was. And we'll talk about Ottinger later. But I, I do think this was more of a four to two type game. If you have you know average mm -hmm. goaltending or whatever, where the Kraken take care of business. And I think that's more the blueprint of what they want, where they're more preventing chances against just spending lots of time in the offensive zone. After game one, I thought this is great. Good on the Kraken. They're able to win this way. I don't think you're winning any more games in this series five to four. That's just not what you want. If it's a 5-4 game, I feel like Dallas is probably winning that going forward. And so they were able to create more of a low event game uh, and, and be more in control th than they were you know, in, in game one. And I think you look at the expected goals for this one. And I think that's more telling of the story where you just take out the goaltending factor. About two and a half for the Kraken about 1.8 for the stars. So, I mean, you're, you're looking at even a potentially lower scoring game than that. If yeah. the giant gap of goaltending, you know, is closed a bit there, but I think that's ultimately how the Kraken do want to play. And I think that's what they're going to go for, uh, you know, going into the next game and beyond. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about that goaltending. You talked about it earlier. Jake Ottinger, Kraken were able to chase him after two periods in this one, uh, allowed five goals on 17 shots. He hasn't really looked right this entire series, RJ. Like, even in the game, too, the fact that the Kraken were able to get those two goals, it was a big deal. You know, I talked about it on their end. It was a big deal also, like I said, you're not letting Ottinger get comfortable. You weren't letting him build any momentum after, you know, a semi-rough game one. And, and things just, all the wheels fell off in this game three for him. Just completely. Yes, absolutely. I think he was uh, saved what, I think about three goals less than expected in, mm -hmm. in his two periods on the ice. And yeah, I mean, the, the first period is scoreless and he, he did look a little bit more confident, you know, in kind of his positioning and everything. But the second period, it all just fell apart. That first goal, I mean, tough one off of Haskinen's uh, face there yeah. and Everly outweights him. But I, I think the goal that really kind of broke him was the Carson Soucy goal mm -hmm. where he's able to kind of walk in, still not all that close, but he beats Ottinger five hole on a shot that's really not all that fast. Most NHL goalies, most of the time, stop that shot. They get down faster and they stop it. And for whatever reason, Ottinger was just really slow to get into butterfly there. And you kind of, if you look at his face afterwards, he, he's thinking, how did I let that one in? And it, it kind of got to him a little bit. And then less than two minutes later, you have the Matty Beneers goal from distance, from downtown, mm -hmm. top of the circle, sends in a shot that may have been tipped right at the point of release, but still you can probably track that most goalies can. And he just kind of whiffs on it. And at that point, you look at his body language, he just kind of droops his shoulders and you can tell that he knows he doesn't have it yeah. for that, for that night. And at that point, I'm surprised they didn't just pull him at that point because it was clear to everybody that it was not Jake Ottinger's game. And then he does allow another one late in the period where he basically just 
blocker pushes the puck right to Ellie Tolvanen who buries it. Yeah. Um, it was a rough night for him. And so they, they kind of put him out of his misery there, put Scott Wedgwood in for the third. Um, but Jake Ottinger just looked downright bad. No, you talk about that Carson Susie goal. Forget about his face after. Look at his face while Susie's walking in on him. Again, this is mano y mano. You're going up against a defenseman, a defenseman not known for scoring either in Carson Susie. First ever playoff goal. First ever playoff goal for him. Look at him. He's not, he's out of it. He's frozen. You can literally tell he's frozen. He doesn't know what to be thinking or what to expect there. And the other thing is, there are times where his eyes aren't even on the puck. He's like kind of looking up and around. And that's when I was like, okay, I saw the slow-mo replay of that one. And I was like, Ottinger really doesn't have this. Talked about it before the series. The only way to get past him is to try to confuse him. Don't ever give him the same look twice. You know, try to get in his head just by, by putting him in a situation where he can't anticipate something, right? When you're dealing with a good goaltender, a goaltender who has rock solid positioning the way he does, but also somebody who's really good at lateral quickness. You know, if you give him the anticipation that the puck's going to be moving cross zone, he's going to be able to get over there and get it. Kraken have done such a good job that even when it was just Carson Susie walking in on him and he's like five feet away from him, he still doesn't even know to be expecting a shot in that situation. And Susie's able to tuck it in under his pads. That's incredible. Like what the Kraken were able to do to this guy. And I'm sorry, Otter. I'm sorry. Like it's it's a rough spot to be in. You're a professional athlete. This is happening to you in front of millions of people. All that stuff. But the bottom line is that the what the Kraken were able to do against Jake Ottinger, especially in this game, kind of have it all co- coalesce into this one. It's remarkable. Because nobody else has really been able to do that to this guy in the postseason ever before, uh, and the crack right. in his in it. his whole career. And you look yeah. at statistically, this is the worst game, regular season or playoffs, of Jake Ottinger's career. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen by accident. That takes work from everybody on the team. And and when you're on the ice as a five man unit too, you look at the Susie goal. You've got Ryan Donato taking away two stars in front of the net and still yep. having his stick there, presenting it as an option to pass where maybe Ottinger is kind of second guessing, looking over his shoulder a little bit. Okay. Is that centering pass coming in here? Cause Susie's not really a shooter usually. Um, and so maybe that makes him second guess, but without Ryan Donato putting in the work there, Ottinger should be able to square up and, and get on that shot a little bit faster. And it, it just takes everybody. Yeah, it, it does. I was going to say two, two Otter's defense. His defense has looked really bad in this one too. Like the Kraken have done a good job of attacking the the D, especially in this third game. You look at guys like Ryan Suter, RJ. He looks so good in that Minnesota series. He looks lost in this one. You know what I mean? Like there's, he does. There's, yeah, he just he's just not there. There's a lot of guys like that on the Dallas Stars blue line that just Hawk and Paws frustrated. We talked about that in the series preview. He's the guy that's their physical edge on D. If you can, he was going to be their Josh Manson. If you could frustrate him, he'll take penalties. Um, he's looking frustrated. Harley looks frustrated. Lindell doesn't look like himself at all. Like this Dallas Stars blue line, which again we talked about, get get pucks net front, make them play below the blue line, get them turned around. That is the key to beating this blue line. Talked about that in the regular season games against Dallas. After that game one, we talked about this. If you can if you can force them to not be able to play the way they want to, they get lost really quick. They start turning into statues. They just kind of park up somewhere and stand there. They lose their physical edge, all of that stuff. And the Kraken learned that in the regular season. You're able to take that, that third game against them, and they've continued that into this series. And so, you know, Ottinger, yes, he's definitely... Definitely out of it, but also this D for the for the Dallas Stars is looking really, really bad, and I don't really see how they're supposed to figure this out, especially if Miro Haskinen is going to be missing time. Well, that's the key. I mean, the Stars D, I think they're looking a lot shallower than we maybe thought they were. It looked mm-hmm. like potentially D, D core, but they were exposed as soon as Miro Haskinen missed time in that game, and so he got hit in the face on, on a tight car chase shot right before the first crack and goal. He left the game, didn't come back. And the stars D just, they look like a completely different team without him. It shows yeah. how important he is. And we knew he was important. I mean, we highlighted him in the series preview as someone to watch out yeah. for. He's been playing almost 30 half minutes a night. Game, playing yeah. pretty much half the game. And without him, uh, the stars blue line looks completely lost. He is very, very important for them. I think they will get him back next game. I mean, just kind of reading between the lines on what Pete DeBoer said that he wanted to come back. He would have liked to come back, but, 
the score did play a factor in him not returning yeah. to the game. I don't blame them for not wanting to potentially risk injury there. Um, but you wonder if, I don't know, it's, it's tough when you've got an injury to the face. We don't know what it is exactly, mm-hmm. but to kind of play through that, that can throw you off your focus. Maybe he's going to have to wear a, bu- a bubble. Maybe he's going to have to wear yeah. a cage. Who knows? He might not be himself. And I really think Miro Haskinen, he is the most important player for, for Dallas in this series. Yeah. I think he's the one they can least afford to lose or, or not beat a hundred percent, even more than Robertson, even more than Hintz. I think he's just that important. Yeah. Even more than Pavelski. Yes. Yeah, I know. I agree. I just wanted to hear you say it. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. You're, you're trying to bait me. I gotcha. Uh, but it's true uh, because you look at, you know, not only the effect in the, in the defensive zone where the stars looked lost without him, the power play, they had, I believe two power play chances after he left. And that's the worst that Dallas Stars power plays looked. They just looked completely lost. Nobody knew where every, anybody was going. Haskinen really is the guy on the back end of that power play who's able to set people up. You know, you talk about all the Pavelski tips. Those shots have to come from somewhere, right? If, if Haskinen's not taking them from the point, where do they come from? Uh, or all the goals where Robertson's able to get some time and space, walk in and score on the power play comes from Haskin and being able to draw some defenders over with him and then slide him over a pass. That ability was lost on the power play as well. Just all the things that they want to do. Jamie Ben net front even was affected by the Haskin and loss. So if, if he's, if he's going to not be at a hundred percent for the next game, it hurts Dallas in so many ways beyond just the fact that your number one blue liner isn't going to be able to help out in the back end. It, it affects the whole team and what they're able to do offensively as well. Uh, so it's it's going to be really interesting, RJ, how Dallas moves forward from here. I mean, we talked about it a little bit last night. Do you move Pavelski back up to the top line? See if that can help get Hintz and Robertson going. Try try to achieve something. I mean, that's 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 kind of the only lineup move I think you can make. But I think it's one you have to at least try because now RJ, all of the pressure is on Dallas. Seattle took care of things in game three, which was huge, huge for them. You, you won one at home. Worst case scenario, you split at home. It turns into a best of three with two road games. Just like round one, that's what happened with the Kraken. We know how that ended up for the Kraken. They were able to win those two road games. You're able to win the series. But now, if you're Dallas, RJ, you can't, you know, that's, that's not a great situation. And that's still like the best case scenario for you. Because if you drop game four, I mean, Seattle has a chance to just win it on five on the road where they like to win games anyway. I mean, Dallas, they have to figure something out. The problem is I'm looking at it. I don't know what you can do. Right. I mean, you can move Pavelski up to that line and just stack things and hope to get a spark. Colorado kind of did that, putting McKinnon and Ronson together and just seeing what they can create. It opens up holes and weaknesses further down the lineup, and that's where the Kraken can beat you as well. Uh, It's a tough trade-off. I think at the end of the day, you've just got to hope and pray that that your goalie is okay, that Jay Cottinger can find his form again. I don't think there's anything you can do if he stays this bad. Um, so a lot of that is just kind of relying on the you know the the goaltending, the voodoo that is goaltending um, to to get back to where it needs to be. Um, I mean, you you mentioned to me before recording this too that like a lot of your ideas are just like okay what can Dallas try to do to fix this mm-hmm. um you know rather than than what the Kraken can do because the Kraken are just playing the same game that they've played all playoffs so they're just going to continue to do that they've done that every game except game two where they just happen to be really tired um yeah. but they're just going to continue to do their own thing that's what Haxtell always talks about too he doesn't worry about the other teams just kind of focus on playing their game and, and as much of a cliche as it is it really does ring true in this case yeah uh, but I think you hit on something though. Dallas is playing a must win game uh, in, in game four. They have to win it. I think if they drop that one, there's very little, little to no chance that they actually win the series. And so they're playing with all the pressure and the theme for the crack in this year has been kind of house money in the playoffs, right? Uh, In the best sense of just happy to be here, but it means that, you know, there's no pressure on you and the stars, you know, they've got their sights set on a cup. This is their window. And, so far, if this playoffs as a whole, as, as taught in us anything, it's that the teams with no pressure tend to do pretty well. Yep. Look over at the Eastern Conference at Florida. I mean, they've they've had no pressure on them the whole time, certainly compared to the two teams they played against, Boston <laughs> yes. and Toronto. And they're doing really well. So, heck, give me the team with no pressure on them. Yeah, I, 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 I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, if I'm Dallas, because I have like a couple ideas 
on what Dallas could maybe try to do. And I don't know how successful this would be anyway, because the bottom line is, I think, yes, you're right. Ottinger needs to figure it out and needs to come back to being Jake Ottinger. But also, Dallas Blue Line needs to play well in front of him too, because he's not going to be able to figure it out if he's just getting shelled or if he's you know, got to deal with a bunch of tricky plays in front of him and all that stuff. Guys are there and available for rebounds, all that stuff. It's not He's not going to be able to figure it out. So the blue line just needs to play better, period. And I think the best way to do that is I would I would talk to all of my centers. I'd have them come back way far in the zone. We know Dallas usually likes to send a winger back, play along the, the half boards and stuff. No, enough of that. Bring the centers all the way back. Ha- have them help out net front. Have them help out in the low slot. Free up one of your defensemen to be able to go behind the boards because you're getting killed by this Kraken forecheck with what they're able to do below the goal line. Right? They're winning every puck battle back there. And I can't help but wonder if part of that is because every Dallas defender knows the moment they dip below there, they have that's an empty spot net front. And so if you can have the centers come back, take away that that doubt in the Dallas players' mind so they can feel like they can 100% commit below the goal line, I think that's something that I would do. Um, and then, you know, figure out the transition game from there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the bottom line is you're getting killed because you don't have possession of the puck in your own zone. That's the that's the answer that you need to have first before you can even deal with trying to counterattack. Um, so if I'm Pete DeBoer, I try to figure out something like that. I go ahead and I make the Pavelski change just because you have to. The bottom line is you're losing the depth battle anyway. I don't know that it's going to matter. This Maddie Beneers line is eating you alive right now. So anything you can do to stop them, I think, is big too. Jordan Eberle, we haven't even talked about him, RJ. Goal in all three games. He's looked incredible yeah. in this one. Jordan Eberle's like a completely different player. Love the leadership he's been bringing. Love what he's been able to do. And now Maddie's waking up. Was my playoff X, my series X factor for the Kraken in this one, RJ. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, if you're Dallas, I think the, that's the only like kind of strategy change that I can I can think of is you need to find a way to not have the Kraken dictate things in your own zone and that that will also hopefully then fix what the blue line and Jake Ottinger especially are going through just if they're not having to think about and and play in panic mode basically because the Kraken are just being able to do whatever they want Uh, and the only way I can think to even try that is just to drop the centers I don't know but the fact that that's the best I can think of it shows what a tough spot the Kraken have put uh, Pete DeBoer in. Yeah, they're so hard to game plan against. And, and we're seeing this. We're different teams. And I think it works out well in the playoffs, too, where if you you know kind of dismiss an opponent, you get a new opponent that maybe has to learn these lessons all over again. I think if the Stars could just kind of import like the institutional memory that the Avalanche had from that first series, they, they might have been off to a better start just knowing exactly what they're dealing with. But these are lessons that Peter DeBoer has to learn and apply kind of on the fly in this series. And I think they're kind of struggling with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. We we t- talked a little bit before recording this about just joking around about DeBoer and kind of, you know, looking a little bit out of it and, and, and whatnot this series. And um, I, I did point out this, this is, you know, has nothing to do with like actual strategy it's or a anything. good story though. But it's a good story. So I wanted to tell it. I wanted to bring it up. But in game three, there was a, a face-off kind of on the offside face-off dot that just went directly into the bench out of play, almost took out Peter DeBoer. It looked like it, it just barely missed some players in the coaching staff. But um, DeBoer went and found the puck, so it ended up on the bench. He goes and finds the puck, and he was picking out a specific fan to give it to. He was directing traffic. He'd be like, no, 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 you, there's this little girl up there. No, 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 make sure it goes to her. I'm going to toss it, you know, go to her. And he was directing traffic for like 15 seconds. The puck was in play still at this point. They'd already dropped the puck for the next face-off. And then he goes and tosses the puck himself. You don't usually see that very often. Usually they'll give it to a trainer or whatever who will you know, make sure the puck gets into a fan's hands. But I thought that was interesting from him. Kind of a, a cool story and uh, you know, classy there from DeBoer also to make sure that puck gets into the crowd and, and to that little girl. Yeah, no, it's it's a good story, and, and I like that from him. I think that's all important, but also this is a round two playoff game. And, yeah, you, you talk about not seeing that. You don't really see that in the regular season, much less in the playoffs, too. And so it's it's an interesting one for him. Uh, I, I threw around the idea, maybe he's just trying to break the curse, RJ. That first-year curse he has of he joins a team, he takes them to the Stanley Cup final, and they lose. Uh, maybe he needs to just not get to the Stanley Cup final with Dallas, and hopefully the Kraken are the benefit of that. <laughs> there you go. It's it's a bold strategy, Dylan. We'll see if it pays off for him. It's it's, it's the way we got to play it. Um, only one other thing I could think of for the Dallas Stars, RJ, and that's to copy the Kraken's game plan. 
Just try to dictate things in the Kraken zone. Have your forecheck go. Cycle the puck. Don't worry about trying to get shots off right away. Um, I know that's a little different than how Dallas usually plays, but when I look at the box score from last night, RJ, I look and, you know, I said it already, Kraken coming back down to earth, only 29 hits in this one. But you look at the forwards, all but one forward, and that being Daniel Sprong, who got hurt and left halfway through, had a hit for the Seattle Kraken in that game. And then two defensemen didn't, which I think is kind of funny. Borgen and Schultz. Uh, there you go. Uh, Will Borgen didn't have a hit. That's a surprise. Yeah, right? Uh, but he, he just because he was focused on offense, because he kept getting open to the offensive zone, taking shots, moving the puck. <laughs> uh, he didn't need to worry about playing physical. Whereas you contrast that with the Dallas Stars, and you look, and it's about half of their forwards had hits. So if I'm Dallas, I'd, I'd, I'd also try just basically ripping off what the Kraken are doing. If Especially if you keep Pavelski on the third line, you try to be a three-line team like the Kraken just rip it off just try to try to get the forecheck going again you know they're hits they're not big hits you're not taking yourself out of the play to make a hit but you're keeping the puck in the Kraken zone see if you can then frustrate the Kraken I just I don't know that they'll be able to do it Kraken are too good at doing it they're just never going to have the puck RJ that's what the Kraken have decided right I mean it's it's not in the stars DNA and I think even if you want to start doing that, you want to kind of create more offensive zone possession time rather than firing as many shots as you can. That all starts out in the D zone and just getting exits out of your own zone and what you talked mm-hmm. about of maybe needing to bring the centers back and just breaking the puck out of there and stopping the crack and forecheck. It, it usually starts in your own end. And I think just need to clean that up first and foremost, I think. Yep, definitely. And then oh, it's great, too, because the Kraken are just evolving with stretch passes, RJ. We didn't even talk about those. Like, there's so much good things that the Kraken have going for them right now. They're just looking so, so solid. Um, game four, mentioned it already, RJ. It's a no-pressure game for the Kraken. I think it's a big deal if they win it. I think that, you know, I mean, I won't say it, but we all know kind of what, what the series starts looking like in a situation like that. Um, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent certain that the Kraken can do it, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm 50, 50 anymore. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm feeling optimistic and just knowing that they could have an effort like they did in game three at home. I just feel like I haven't seen that in months. Yes. And, uh, so it was really reassuring to see that, um, I'm going to be excited going into game four and I mean, yeah, pressure's all on Dallas. Like it's, it's the Kraken's chance to just take a stranglehold on the series. And, and I think it sounds weird, but I think they can afford to lose game four. You don't want to, you obviously want to go out there and win and take control, but it's nice to have that in your back pocket where you can lose game four. And I think you're in a fine spot. We talked about this on the post games early where split in Dallas, if you split in Seattle and you go best of three with two of those on the road, I think you're still feeling pretty good. I do too. Especially now that you, you know, you look this good at home, you know, a game six situation is also right there in, in play for you. Um, We'll close it out with this question, RJ. Let's say Dallas comes out and they've they've got some, you know, they figured something out and it's all Dallas in the first period, okay? And Dallas is, right. is they're forechecking, they're getting shots, they're beating, you know, they, they've got a couple goals, let's say. What do, you, what do you want to see the Kraken do? Do you want to see them stick with this game plan in a situation like that? Or do you, do you want to see them kind of adjust away from it? Because the bottom line is throughout this postseason, they've been successful kind of sticking with the same thing. I know we just talked about game four isn't that big a deal if you lose, um, but just moving forward in this series, do you want to see the Kraken kind of become a team that really sticks to their game plan no matter what is happening game to game and period to period? Or do you think that they're going to continue to need to be a team that slowly, you know, evolves or changes things? I mean, they've, they've kind of, they've done the little things that you need to do to tweak, but do you think we'll ever see a, a, a wholesale like big change from this group? Or do you think they would need to? I don't think they would need to. I think that you have the way that you play generally and just the the depth being your strength, rolling those lines and just trying to get in there on the forecheck and being disruptive. I think you make little tweaks around that, like the the stretch passes in game three, where you see a vulnerability there and how the stars can defend and you try and do something a little different to take advantage of it. But overall, I I think you kind of keep your game as what it is because you look at the times that the Kraken in the playoffs have not looked good, the times that they've lost. 
a lot of it has been getting away from that as when, mm-hmm. when they've gotten away from how they play and when they make uncharacteristic mistakes, yeah. uh, when they, you know, will will make dumb plays with the puck in the D zone where they'll be undisciplined. We didn't even talk about that from game two, where <laughs> you'll just take stupid yeah. penalties that you don't need to take um, where you get away from things like that and you end up beating yourself. And, and I think it, it just takes that focus and it's a lot easier said than done to maintain that focus over a full 60 minutes and over a full up to seven games in a playoff series. But if you can just stay focused on, on playing that way, whatever adjustments the stars make, I think overall in, in over the course of a series, you're going to be fine. Just be flexible on those little things that you see. But I have a lot of faith in the coaching staff mm-hmm. that they're going to be able to find that balance. Like, I mean, they, there's a reason they're the, the coaches and, and we're not. Um, They're able to find those things and choose kind of when to make those tweaks and when not to, but they've given us a lot of reason to be confident. I agree. I agree. And so the players, everybody's playing well. Certainly, you know, you're going to say that after a 7-2 victory uh, in the previous game, (laughs) but it's, it is definitely true with the Seattle Kraken team. Cannot wait for game four tomorrow. Can't wait to see all the patrons tonight for that uh, uh, draft lottery stream for sure. And can't wait to see more uh, great picks and videos of everybody losing their minds, watching the Kraken at Queen Anne Beer Hall for game four as well. Looking forward to that one. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this podcast. Thanks everybody for joining us and we'll see you all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons, Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Ben, Burnt Creme, Kaylin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, The Bach, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, Joni, Joshua, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, C.A. Kraken, Sean B., Sean O., Sergey, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Pasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 